Today on Not Sam Wrestling, it was a great weekend for some independent wrestling creators. WWE is pulling out the big guns. And did we really witness one of the best pro wrestling verbal confrontations ever? This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey, everybody. Hope you all had a great holiday weekend, at least everybody in the States that was celebrating Thanksgiving. Hope you got to eat some food. Hope you got to see your family. Hope you got to enjoy Survivor Series last week. We didn't really get to talk about that because we did the big Survivor Series 92 recap show. I know. I know. How do you enjoy the Survivor Series without The Rock? I swear to God, for everybody that was sitting there going like, well, I thought The Rock was going to show up. You should have seen, I mean, being in the Barclays Center. They didn't get me every single time, but they definitely got me the first time. So like every time that they aired those, hey, it's The Rock's 25th anniversary pay-per-view. Every time they aired those bits, they played the rocks theme music in the house. So like the first time they did it, it like I, whatever the opening match was or whatever, I don't remember what match it was. One of the matches ended. And then you just heard, if you smile, what the rock is cooking. And like me and everybody around me was like, Oh my God, this is it. And then it was just on the big screen. Did you know the rocks finisher was the rock bottom? Oh, no, yeah, no, I I knew that. I actually kind of wanted to see one. Uh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. But it is interesting that that's the name of the finisher. And you're like, oh, okay. So, yeah. So, anybody watching the pay-per-view that was waiting for that? I think there were even more people in the arena waiting for it. But to WWE's credit, they never actually said that The Rock was going to be there at the pay-per-view. I, 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 you know, I don't know. With the fact that Brock Lesnar is coming back, on SmackDown. We've got limited pay-per-views, I think, for uh, going forward. We don't have the standard, at least announced, 12 pay-per-views. Like, it's not a monthly thing necessarily. For instance, the next pay-per-view is not until the 1st of January, day one. But that even more goes to say... So, like, look. On SmackDown this week... uh, Sami Zayn won the Battle Royal. And I did see some people, like, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was really obvious what the Sami Zayn win was and why they announced Brock Lesnar right after it. Like, some people were like, well, you know, they've made Sami Zayn look like a joke this whole time, and now he's the number one contender. Well, first of all, he's a villain. He's not a hero. Second of all, he won the Battle Royal by dastardly methods. I was going to say cheating, but technically he didn't break any rules. But he didn't compete. He didn't defeat 20 other men or 19 other men or whatever it was. You know, he snuck in at the end and he won the way a heel wins, which is great. And then the fact that they announced that Brock Lesnar is coming back next week. Clearly, we're going to start what we started on Raw with the egg. And that's bringing back this idea that there's a conspiracy going on against Sami Zayn. That, that sort of storyline has been... Not dropped, but quieted 
I think, within the last few months. There was a long time when Sami Zayn had the documentary crew following him and everything, and the conspiracy against Sami was kind of the, at the forefront of the story that Sami Zayn was telling. Now, it's not really at the forefront. I mean, now it is again, but it hasn't been. So I, I, I think that the idea of Sammy, like logically, first of all, I was on the edge of my seat coming off of Sunday trying to figure out who had that damn egg. I had to know. It's $100 million, okay? $100 million. If I had $100 million, I don't know that I would have put it in an egg. I don't even know why you would make an egg that costs $100 million. If you've got $100 million, put it in real estate, put it in stocks, bonds, Bitcoin, something. Put it in sneakers and toys. All better than putting it in an egg. You know how difficult it is to steal $100 million worth of sneakers and toys? You'd need a truck. Maybe two. To steal $100 million worth of real estate? I mean, you'd, you'd need people who could move land. It'd be impossible. It'd be impossible. But if you're just going to make something that's the size of an ostrich egg and that's worth $100 million, that doesn't, that's so easy to steal. Austin Theory stole it by mistake. He stole it just to take a picture with it by mistake. By the way, I love Austin Theory's gimmick because number one, he's highly entertaining. And number two, I bet he gets to keep all those pictures. Austin Theory is in IRL, in real life, collecting quite the photo album for himself because of this gimmick. Not only does he now get a picture with Vince McMahon, which let's be honest, I mean, if you're on the WWE roster, kind of weird, unless you're a top guy, kind of weird to go up to the boss and be like, yo, can we get a pic? <laughs> like, you can't, you can't. You gotta be a little bit professional. Austin Theory doesn't have to worry about that. Goes right up to him, gets a pic. Oh, it's for the show. Isn't this a great idea, boss? The boss goes, yeah. He gets a picture with the egg. Who's got a picture with the egg? Years from now, they'll go, remember the egg storyline that lasted those two days? Go, yup, I got a picture with it. This is the real egg. But the reason that Austin Theory ended up going in the main event was not just to get Austin Theory some exposure on that level, but it was, again, to cheat Sami Zayn out of something. And it's difficult for us to feel sympathy for Sami because he's a bad guy. He's whiny. He's annoying. But... We don't have to feel sympathy for him. He just has to technically be right. Because if you're a good, bad guy, technically what you're saying is true. So Sammy now got screwed out of a match with Big E on Raw for the WWE Championship. And when he comes the number one, when he becomes the number one contender for the Universal Championship on SmackDown, his glory, his moment, everything gets taken away from him because Kayla Braxton has to one-up Paul Heyman yet again and announce that Brock Lesnar is going to be on SmackDown next week. That's the look on Sami Zayn's face. you got to be kidding me. I would imagine that Sami Zayn versus Roman Reigns is probably not a pay-per-view match. I don't think that we are building from now until the 1st of January knowing that Sami Zayn versus Roman Reigns is the story we're telling. I think we are far more likely to either see I think the most likely thing is Sami Zayn is going to get screwed out of the title match, which is going to push forward the narrative that there is a conspiracy against him, or Sami Zayn's going to get the match on SmackDown and and he's going to lose and he's going to be able to blame 
some other force. I think it's very, very obvious if you're watching the show that Brock Lesnar at some point is going to get another Roman Reigns match, whether that's at day one because they want to build up the show, whether that's at Royal Rumble to try to get some people in the dome, unless Brock's going to be in the Royal Rumble match itself, wherever that, whether it's, whether they're going to push it all the way off until WrestleMania to finally get that back. Can you imagine that? A third WrestleMania where Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns is the main event? This would be the best one um, based on story alone. But I think that it's, I would guess, especially with the way that like Drew McIntyre was not in the main event, I, I think I think the idea, and I don't know that it's going to work, but I think the idea is that Drew McIntyre is going to have to earn a shot at Roman Reigns again. So maybe, I think what you're looking at in terms of real Roman Reigns challengers on SmackDown is... Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, and to me, it's very, very clear that Jeff Hardy is going to be put in the position to have at least one Roman Reigns match, whether that's at day one, whether that's at Royal Rumble. It might be a good shot, you know, if you remember uh, at Royal Rumble 2020, the one that Drew McIntyre won, the world title match was Finn Balor versus Brock Lesnar, which it was awesome to see, but it was like... We're happy to see Finn Balor in the main event. We'd love to create these like hoop dreams, but Finn Balor ain't beating Brock Lesnar. And I think that that's the idea of Jeff Hardy versus Roman Reigns. And maybe that's why it'll fit in at the Royal Rumble. We know, we know Roman Reigns is going to WrestleMania at this point with the WWE, with the Universal Championship. We know that Roman Reigns is not losing before WrestleMania. You have to. It'd be insane for him to lose before WrestleMania. The whole point, Roman can't lose. That's the whole point of Roman Reigns. That's why he's stacking people up on top of each other. That's why he's beating John Cena with ease. That's why, well, maybe not with ease, but clean. That's why he's beating everybody. He can't, he, if, once he loses, the whole mystique is gone. Jordan comes back and wins three more championships. Roman is Jordan. Once Jordan starts losing, the run's over. We're all happy for him. We're still happy to see him, but he's not going to run around here like he's the Jordan of old. Roman isn't there yet. Roman is the Jordan of new. Roman is like, uh, you know, the first three Chicago Bulls championships were babyface Roman Reigns. These next three are today. Roman is on his second set of NBA championships. He's on his second three-peat right now. First one was WrestleMania. Second one is going to be this year's WrestleMania. But in order for all that to happen, he can't lose. So it's not like he's going to lose the title and win it back before WrestleMania. It's possible. It could happen, but probably not. So I think that the idea is that between now and then, you know, you have the match at the Royal Rumble you either do the Brock match at the Royal Rumble, or if you're not going to do the Brock match, you do Jeff Hardy versus Roman Reigns because it'll it'll be awesome to see. It'll be great to see Jeff Hardy getting that opportunity, getting some offense in. But you know, inevitably, you know what's going. You know Thanos has said it's inevitable because it's inevitable. With Drew McIntyre, you wonder unless they're going to do the Drew McIntyre match. The Drew McIntyre match is going to happen at some point. Maybe it's going to happen at day one. That's probably because you need a main event, main event for day one, right? 
So I would I would probably do start building Roman versus Drew. Maybe do Drew versus Sammy. Have Drew take Sammy's number one contendership. Have Drew versus Roman at day one. Have Jeff Hardy versus Roman at Royal Rumble. And then I guess go back to Brock versus Roman at WrestleMania. Unless you've got The Rock. If you've got The Rock up your sleeve, I'd rather see that. But, you know, if you want to paint a picture of a possibility where Roman Reigns could lose the championship at WrestleMania, Brock is probably your guy, unless you can get Drew there. Unless the thought is that, you know, we won't give Drew that opportunity until WrestleMania and we'll, we'll tell this story of Drew being a, the one who can conquer Roman. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, Drew versus Roman at WrestleMania? I've seen it less than I've seen Brock versus Roman. You know, I, 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 it all depends on the story. It all depends on the story. And, and, and that's, to me, what it's going to be all about. Is I, I could be sold on either Drew versus Roman or Brock versus Roman at WrestleMania this year. But or next year, I guess. But still, I I I I wasn't I, I thought that the Sami Zayn stuff made perfect sense. Stuff I didn't feel as 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 sort of clear on. Why two pies in the face for Tony Storm? Why the second pie? You know, the first pie, it was almost like, Tony, I don't even know why you came out here. The second pie, it was like, Tony, would you do something? For God's sake, stand up for yourself, woman. I know that she's powerful. I know she's a superhero. I know she's the goat. I know she's Charlotte effing Flair. Woo! But for God's sakes, woman, stand up for yourself and stop letting this lady throw pies in your face. Even I, at some point, I would try to block the second pie. I had the Iconics dumping popcorn in my hair nonstop when I would do those watch-alongs during pay-per-views. Eventually, I put my hands up. You know what I eventually did? I shaved my head because I kept having to pick popcorn out of it because of those damn Iconics. But I did something about it is the point. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, we can't fool me again. And so the second pie, I was like, Tony, if you can't block a second pie, you can't block a figure eight. If you didn't see that second pie coming, you ain't going to see that figure eight coming. Charlotte's going to get you again. The first pie, I was like, okay, here's what I'm thinking with the first pie. And, and I'm, I'm assuming that the thought process, even with the second pie, was Charlotte ate the L at Survivor Series. Charlotte didn't get him. Charlotte lost the match to Becky Lynch at Survivor Series. I thought she should have won. I said that in my Survivor Series preview. Charlotte ended up not beating Becky Lynch. So I think that the idea was let's remind everybody how good Charlotte is and how unbeatable Charlotte is by portraying her as unbeatable. And so I, I, I think that, that they wanted to remind people, which I don't think you really need to do. She's Charlotte Flair after all. But I think they wanted to remind people what a threat she is and how how much how when she says she's on a different level it's because she's actually on a different level i think that that's part of what makes charlotte charlotte is not that she's this heel that thinks she's on a different level is that we all have to come together and and work under the combined knowledge that charlotte is actually on another level 
And in order to prove that she's on another level, I guess she got to slam Tony Storm with two pies, not one. I got that with the one pie. I was like, okay, now Tony Storm knows Charlotte's on another level. I know when she came back for the second pie, I was like, well, that's, that's just insulting. Who comes back for a second pie? Charlotte walks back over to her. I'm like, oh, something's going to go down here. A second pie? Tony, hands up, woman. I'm still looking forward to seeing Tony Storm versus Charlotte. I mean, we're lucky we're getting it, but there's a lot of pies. Is all I'm saying. Um, hey, congratulations to a couple of 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 uh, bodies, a couple of companies. Firstly, let's uh, send a big shout out to Zombie Sailor Toys. Zombie Sailor Toys is doing uh, a line of wrestling action figures that are uh, super, I mean, I haven't seen, I don't I haven't held any of them in person yet, you know, but I've ordered a couple of them. They're basically uh, taking up where Hasbro left off. They're making Hasbro-styled WWE, or Hasbro-styled wrestling figures, right? And I know, like, the first set that they're putting out that they put up for pre-order a while ago was Sabu, Dino Bravo, Earl Hepner. Uh, Matt Cardona and Brian Myers. And I think that, you know, like when you like Dino Bravo, Earl Hepner, those are figures that are meant to fill in the gaps that we didn't get as, you know, Hasbro collectors back in the day, which I love. But they're also throwing in the, you know, uh, Myers and Cardona for the major pod people. And they're throwing in the Sabus. And I know they've signed like Mike Awesome, they've signed Roadkill, they've signed like all these old ECW guys that they're going to throw in there, which is going to be amazing. But they're also picking up some indie talent. They're picking up, and they signed Jeff Jarrett. They redesigned the Jeff Jarrett Hasbro that was supposed to get released, that never got released. They made it, they pre-ordered it, boom, I got one coming whenever they finally get to me. But the big news this week is that for Black Friday, and this is still up, by the way, I think if you go on zombiesailor.com or whatever, just Google Zombie Sailor, it's not a commercial, so I don't need to get the website right. Um... They put up the first ever official Danhausen action figure. Danhausen, a great friend of the show. And the reason he's such a good friend of this show is because I am not trying to be cursed. Okay. A lot of people are like, I don't know this Danhausen. Uh, I don't know if I like the cut of his jib. I'm like, apparently, you don't mind being cursed because that's what happens when you talk wild the way you're talking. I'm telling you, Danhausen has been in the Not Sam studio. He's a friend of the show, and I'm not getting cursed. And I'll tell you how I know I'm not getting cursed, because I pre-ordered two of the Danhausen figures over the weekend. My point is that if you go to Zombie Sailor, you see they designed this beautiful, it's like a you know four or five-inch uh, Hasbro-style wrestling figure of Danhausen, beautifully detailed, comes with a soft goods cape. You know I love soft goods. Uh, and special accessories. It comes with a bag of money. It comes with actual, like, toy play money for Danhausen to hold the figure. And it comes with a jar of teeth, human teeth, just like the real Danhausen has. Um, and the reason why I bring it up is because it became... Zombie Sailor has, has did... They did Cardona, Myers, Hepner, Dino Bravo, Sabu, Jeff Jarrett. Now the Danhausen figure comes out. And within two days... Maybe one day Danhausen becomes the best-selling zombie sailor figure of all time. So congratulations to that. I know that zombie sailor put that is, is producing that figure early so we can get orders in now 
so we can get Danhausen some cash now while he heals up that broke leg of his. So if you want to support, support. You look up Danhausen. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Uh, speaking of support and big congratulations, how about GCW this weekend, huh, boys? GCW and ladies, I see you out there. Game Changer Wrestling makes the announcement a while back from Atlantic City that they're going to make history and that this little organization that could is coming to the Hammerstein Ballroom, the Hammerstein Ballroom, an iconic venue for professional wrestling in New York City, a venue that all of the old ECW, the, the, the final pay-per-views of ECW took place in the Hammerstein Ballroom. The ECW Tag Team Championship Tournament took place in the Hammerstein Ballroom. The WWE pay-per-views, ECW One Night Stand, the first two, both of them, Hammerstein Ballroom. Ring of Honor, some of the classic Ring of Honor shows, the anniversary shows, the final battles, Hammerstein Ballroom. And now this organization, this this mud wrestling show, The Last Outlaws, garbage wrestlers show up and they announce, we're going to go ahead and change the world. We're going to book the Hammerstein Ballroom. And we're going to switch up the seating chart so we're going to put more people in that building than have ever been in that building to see a wrestling show before. Over 2,000 people in that building. And it's like, bro, like, what do you think you're going to do here? You got no matches announced. All you've announced, for the most part, is the GCW roster that's going to be on the show. Who do you think you are? And they go, we'll tell you who we are. We're the motherfuckers that sold out the Hammerstein in one day. One day, GCW sold out the Hammerstein Ballroom. I mean, that's amazing. These are companies, the zombie sailors of the world, the GCWs of the world. These are people that are, are, are in this wrestling space just because they love it. For the love of the game, man. And they're making it happen. I can't wait. I bought my tickets. I bought them. Went to Ticketmaster when they went on sale. Bought my tickets. Can't wait to see this show uh, at the Hammerstein. Uh, before we get into what I think was... Uh, one of the bigger moments on TV this week. Uh, WWE uh, pulling out the big guns for Raw this week. Edge is returning. And I don't know if Edge is going to announce a match at... If they're going to start building to a match with Edge at 
day one. I would imagine that the Seth Rollins rivalry is over. It might not be because he's returning to Raw and Seth is on Raw. But Seth feels occupied to me. Um, I guess I don't know. If I had to get... I would imagine that Edge is coming back for a one-shot. I don't know that... If Edge is coming back to start another story, then I think it'll be one of those things where he gets laid out or something like that. Because I don't think... I don't think we'll see Edge back until the Royal Rumble. But, you know, I mean... We still haven't seen Edge versus AJ Styles, although AJ is, is probably occupied with the almost stuff. You know, Austin Theory could be interesting, but I, I don't think Austin is, I don't think Edge would lose to Austin Theory, and I don't think it makes sense for Austin Theory to be in that if he's going to lose. Uh, I guess Lashley, you know what could be interesting? You know what I wouldn't mind seeing at all? Edge getting in there and not making it a blood feud, not making it personal, you know, babyface versus babyface, straight up. I wouldn't mind seeing Edge versus Damian Priest for that uh, United States Championship. I think Edge versus Damian Priest could be a pretty fun series of matches. It might be a direction to go in. Um, and then you're doing Big E versus Kevin Owens. That's scheduled. For Raw tonight, um, you know, I, I I feel like, you know, when you look at the opponents for Roman, we were saying Jeff Hardy, we were saying Drew McIntyre. I feel like, I mean, in terms of full-time guys on the roster every week, I think that it's pretty clear that over on the Raw side, you've got Biggie, uh, you've got Kevin Owens, and you've got Seth Rollins. Both of those are super intriguing. Um I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to go to a triple threat, a Big E, Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens at the day one pay-per-view. But I hope that part of this story is Kevin Owens finding that meanness again. Is Kevin Owens finding that, 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 you know, I want to say ruggedness, but just that, that evil part of him that we saw, especially when he was, when he was NXT champion, the Kevin Owens that we saw invading raw to open, to answer John Cena's, uh, U.S. Open Wimbledon Tournament Grand Rose Challenge. That's the Kevin Owens that I want to see back. Pop up, power bomb, hit you on the apron. I don't care about your soul because I'm trying to feed my family, Kevin Owens. I'll suck it out of your body if it puts food on my family's table, Kevin Owens. That's the Kevin Owens that I want to see. I want to see with Big E. I want to see a Kevin Owens that goes like, oh, congratulations to you, Big E. Congratulations. I'm so glad you get to live your dream. But if you can do it, then there ain't no way that you can tell me that I can't do it. Kevin Owens pointing out the fact that it's high time that he be the one to hold that title. People seem to have forgotten. People seem to have forgotten that he was the universal champion, that he was the NXT champion, that he, and he's there to reclaim gold. No more Mr. Nice Guy Kevin Owens. I think a Big E Kevin Owens rivalry could be very compelling. At the same time, you know, Seth Rollins lurking around. I'm, I'm surprised they're doing them both at the same time, but also intrigued. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I do think that the wrestling world got to talking after Wednesday night specifically the opening of Wednesday night show for a couple of reasons. Number one, just a great, great wrestling television segment. Number two, 
I think it's something that people have been waiting for for months now. And number three, it lived up to that hype. I'm talking about CM Punk and MJF finally meeting face-to-face, microphone-to-microphone, and having that promo battle that people have been talking about since CM Punk showed up in AEW. Look, I mean, there's a big conversation going on with Punk and AEW right now, and, and I think that the reality is that I see CM Punk as somebody best utilized almost in a block Brock Lesnar-type role. I mean, if you can get him on TV every week cutting promos and doing stuff like that, then all the better. But there is something to addition by subtraction, less is more, right? There is something to preserving that star power of CM Punk. I get the idea of putting his face on TV as often as possible to, to get ratings up, and I'm sure that that's working. You know, I, I don't think that that's a dumb idea at all. But I also think that it might be easier to build super matches if he weren't wrestling as often. All that said, you also have to get reps in. You know, AEW's not doing live shows. So, like, untelevised live shows. So, they do live television, obviously. So, I, I guess that's part of it, too. I don't know, it's very complicated. But, something that people have been waiting for since CM Punk got to AEW was the inevitable run-in between he and MJF. Some people thought it wouldn't be for another year. But it is. It's here right now. Um, and they went mic to mic. And it was great. It was really spectacular. I mean, it felt like two guys who are real good at what they do, having microphones and saying, let's see what you got. It felt like, and it's so cool seeing MJF in this position because he's a young guy and he is in the ring with somebody that he looked up to. He is having a fan moment, whether he will ever let on to that or not, there's no possible way that he isn't. But there isn't even one, mo- there's something in MJF and it might be his most valuable trait that at no point does he allow himself to come across as feeling out of place. You can look into his eyes and at no point does he feel nervous. At no point does he seem to feel that he doesn't belong in that ring with CM Punk. At no point is the perception that he's at all nervous about not coming across well in this promo battle with somebody who is notorious for years and years and years and years of amazing work on a microphone. So to see MJF ready to hang in that environment and almost like you would think CM Punk would be the one with the attitude of I'm going to go full force. And if you can't hang with me, you're going to end up, you know, falling out of the out of the car. I feel like MJ, I, and I feel like maybe CM Punk did come with that attitude. I feel like MJF came with it, too. I feel like MJF came with it and said, I've been doing this for every single week for a couple of years now. And everybody knows how good I am. Let's see if you can keep up with me. And I love that back and forth energy. Loved it. If I was nitpicking, you know, the other thing that came up a lot was that there were a lot of WWE references in there, in this back and forth. And I'll tell you, I thought some were absolutely fine, appropriate, and added, and some were unnecessary and actually made WWE look better because of it. Um, I think that the Triple H references added. I think the Triple H references made it feel, even, you know, even though it wasn't, like it made it feel 
a little bit more real, a little bit more behind the scenes, a little bit more like they're taking pot shots at each other. I think MJF bringing up CM Punk being Triple H's second fiddle was good because CM Punk has come across on podcasts and things sounding like there at some point could have been some resentment there, right? So you're playing on something that fans can perceive is a real problem. I think CM Punk bringing up the thing about Tony's daughter and that's how MJF would get ahead. A clear reference to Triple H was also very good because while it's a shot at Triple H, it's like, that's the kind of guy that you are. It all works for me. I did not love, uh, I loved the UFC thing coming up because that hasn't come up in AEW yet. I thought that was very good. I thought calling MJF The Miz and having like the audience chant The Miz and then having MJF call CM Punk John Cena, it's almost like, it's it felt like at that point, if you're not careful, you're going to end up showcasing this as a lesser Miz versus John Cena, which is not what you want to do. And I, it's not what this is. But I just think that the the too much comparison is going to make it seem as though WWE is the standard bearer and this is our point of reference. And at this point, I think if you're a promotion like AEW, you should be the point of reference for yourself. I think the idea of maybe bringing up the fact that you know, and, and MJF kind of did this a little bit, but bringing up the fact that there is criticism for what CM Punk has done in AEW so far. Bring that up. Bring the idea that maybe CM Punk doesn't know if he's still got it. Bring all that stuff up. I think all that might be a little more valuable than The Miz and John Cena, but I'm nitpicking because it was a great, great segment. And it, and it led me, and a lot of people watching the segment, and you look at the YouTube numbers that that segment did, true to roof. The comments, unbelievably positive, and they should be. I mean, if you like wrestling, you're going to love that segment. And that segment is absolutely the segment that you show to somebody who might not be a wrestling fan that you go, this is why I love this stuff. I don't think anybody is going to watch that segment and think it's not cool. I don't think anybody is going to watch that segment and not understand why it's good television. It's great. And a hundred percent, and here is... The most important reason it was good because it made people want to see the match. That is it. That's the whole kit and caboodle. You left that promo, that segment, that confrontation, wanting to see CM Punk versus MJF, wanting to go to a building, wanting to pay for a pay-per-view, to cheer for CM Punk and to boo for MJF. They put that match on a pay-per-view. I have no idea and they better put it on a pay-per-view. I have no idea what you put on that pay-per-view that is bigger than that to main event. I have no idea how you make whatever the AEW championship match is, whoever Hangman Page is facing. I have no idea how you make it a bigger deal than the rivalry between MJF and CM Punk, especially because this is this is level one. We've got a while to go with this thing. This is what we've been waiting for. I said the only problem I had with Eddie Kingston and CM Punk was we didn't get more of it. Is that it was only, you know, a couple of segments and then boom, off to, here's the match. And now the match is over. This, 
this is where 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 I wanted to be, like a, a CM Punk story you can sink your teeth into. And it got me to thinking, you know, this is more, this is a specific type of segment, right? This is not just a promo. You can't just go and say like, well, where does that rank on the best promos of all time? Because we've done a podcast of the best promos of all time. We've talked about, you know, the Hard Times promo and the Austin 316 promo and the this and the that. This is different. This is a confrontation. This is a verbal confrontation, but a confrontation. It's both guys in the ring with microphones. It's both parties working together to get you invested in their story. So I said, like, you know, as quickly as people were putting this on the short list of some of the best segments in general of all time, I said, let me think about that list. Let me think about what these segments really are. Because I'm not, and I got a list in front of me here. I went through and and spent a couple of days thinking about what is the best. And if you've got more, email me, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Notsamwrestling at gmail.com is the email address for maybe some confrontations that I didn't think of. These are just the ones that came to my mind. And by the way, while I'm plugging stuff, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling is the place to be. All of our interviews, our interview with Homicide, everything. All of our interviews go up at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. We just posted a special video uh, podcast from a few weeks back, the history of the WWE King of the Ring. We will be making a, and we make special video versions with my buddy Marsh helps out with the editing. Um, We will make a special Survivor Series 1992 video version of last week's podcast. It'll be up on the YouTube site before too long. So subscribe at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. And if you're looking for more, Go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You get all the shows ad-free and early. You'll get Thursday, Not Sam Thursday every week, a bonus podcast. You have access to watching the podcast get taped live. You have access to Zoom chats every week. You have access to everything. So patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. When you look at what the best confrontations have been, you, first of all, CM Punk is already on the list. The pipe bomb promo, while it is a promo, it is also on this list of confrontations that led to a specific match. This is my criteria here. It's got to be a confrontation among at least two people, if not more. And it's got to leave you wanting to see a match. The match doesn't have to be, the match doesn't have to have been good The match doesn't even have to have happened. But it has to be a confrontation between two or more that leaves me wanting more between these two. And the pipe bomb promo, while it is just a promo, that pipe bomb is not at first directed to the viewer at home. It's not directed to the McMahons. It's not directed to the audience. It is at first directed to John Cena. That pipe bomb promo is the first step to the eventual CM Punk, John Cena, Money in the Bank 2011 match. And while there are a lot of confrontations actually from this era of CM Punk that you could put on this list, there's a confrontation he had with Triple H. There's the Vince McMahon contract signing where he brought up the ice cream bars. There's there's a lot of them. But if you're going to do one, I feel like that pipe bomb promo 
could easily be on this list. I only reason I'm not putting out on this list is because the CM Punk MJF confrontation is what got us started. And I mean, I don't know. You could put the pipe bomb on here, but let's look at what's actually on my list. Okay. And I'm going all over the place. We're going, this, this ranges from 1987 until 2018. So let's start at the very beginning. And this one might be the biggest one. This one might be the most important one because part of it is also the fact that the later you go in the game, the more you've got to base on. The more it's been done before, the more you can be inspired by. When you're just starting this, it's not easy. And in February of 1987, yeah, wrestling has done confrontations forever. But on a national scale, there hadn't been as many, we'll just say. February 7th, 1987. This is the moment that Andre the Giant turns heel. Talk about confrontations. This, this is it for me. This is everything you could want. See, Andre the Giant, and I, I've, I've tried to, as you, as you look at who Andre the Giant was as a superstar, because you look at it, and for a lot of people, I feel like their vision of Andre the Giant is Andre at WrestleMania 3. But what made Andre at WrestleMania 3 so important is what he was before this. I think the only thing that you can compare Andre the Giant to in 1987 is The Undertaker. Now, the attraction, maybe not now, now, not, not, not retired Undertaker, but you know, like, like Undertaker at his most cemented. Undertaker at his, at his like, okay, we're just gonna say right here, this is the God of this. This is the GOAT. This is the Undertaker. There's one, there'll never be another. This is the greatest, right? I think that, that Andre was the original that, that there is, he's just such an attraction and he's so beloved and he's been around forever. The WWE, of course, advertised him as being undefeated for 15 years. Was that true? I don't know. But for the purpose of this story, he was advertised as being undefeated for 15 years. And Hulk Hogan has been WWE champion for three years at this point. Hulkamania is running wild. Hulkamania is the, Hulk Hogan is the biggest star in WWE. Andre the Giant has had his back. Andre the Giant poured champagne on top of Hulk Hogan's head when he first defeated the Iron Sheik in Madison Square Garden to win that WWE championship. Kind of like how if, if Bret Hart held the title up high, the Undertaker would be there patting him on the back. He's our guy. Everybody look at Bret Hart. He's the champ. And it's almost like you got the big man's approval. Talk about a locker room leader. You got the big man's approval. Okay, you're good in our book. And that's where Andre was. Andre went away after WrestleMania 2 for a while. You know, WrestleMania uh, 1, what was WrestleMania? I want to say WrestleMania 1 was the body slam challenge with Big John Studd. And WrestleMania 2 was the battle royal that he won that Refrigerator Perry was in, right? Let me, let me double check that so I don't sound stupid. But uh, I believe that, uh, that that's right. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Andre the Giant, WrestleMania 1, 
yeah, it was Big John Stud body slam challenge. Most importantly, Big John Stud with Bobby the Brain Heenan, of course, in his corner. So Andre the Giant is as good a guy as you're going to get. Best buddies with Hogan, the whole deal. Disappears after WrestleMania too. He starts getting called out by Bobby Heenan. The reason Andre the Giant's not here is because he's scared of King Kong Bundy, my man. He's scared of Big John Stud, my man. Bobby Heenan calls him out. Andre no-shows. Andre ends up getting suspended. Andre comes back as the giant machine. Clearly Andre the Giant, but in a mask. Does the whole uh, giant machine thing. It's a blast. Ends up coming back. He's a good guy. Blah, blah, blah. So we get to this place, right? We go to the Piper's Pit. Week one, Hogan gets presented a trophy for being the WWE champion for three years. Incredible. Andre congratulates him. And he has this moment where he's like, three years, a long time to be the champion. And gives him a real firm handshake. Like, whoa. Week two, Andre comes out. He gets a trophy for being undefeated for 15 years. Only problem is his trophy is a little smaller than the one that Hogan got. Hogan comes out to congratulate Andre. Andre feels like Hogan was maybe trying to get a little bit of that spotlight. Hogan is taken aback. He doesn't understand why Andre's upset. Week three, all right. Hogan and Andre are going to hash it out. Good stuff. No problemo. Jesse Ventura is there to help at Piper's pit because at this point, Roddy Piper is a good guy. Andre comes out. Who is he with? Bobby the Brain Heenan. What? What? After all the years of being a sworn enemy of Bobby the Brain Heenan, after all the years of Bobby the Brain Heenan bringing giants in to conquer Andre, Andre is now associated with Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan, who not only has been hell-bent on destroying Andre's legacy, but destroying Hulkamania himself. Bobby Heenan, that Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan? Yep. Here's Andre with Bobby Heenan. Hogan's over there going, this can't be true. You can't be with this guy. You can't be with this guy. Bobby Heenan has been filling Andre's head with bad, bad stuff. You say this man's your best friend. Hogan's like, he's more than my best friend. He's my idol. He's my role model. He taught me everything I know. You know, all this stuff. Andre is basically Hogan's mentor. And Bobby points out, how many title shots you give this man in three years? Huh? You've been champion for three years. How many times you give your best buddy a shot at the title? Hogan goes, and there you have it. There's your little ounce of truthfulness. Hogan said, oh, he ate poor champagne over my head when I won the title. We now, in one segment, have told a story that has been built over three years without even knowing it. Andre rips the shirt right off of Hogan's chest, and with it, the cross that Hogan wears is torn off as well. And Andre has these meaty palms, and who knows, maybe jagged fingernails. He ends up cutting the chest of Hulk Hogan. And Hogan's going, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And Roddy Piper says one of the best things that anybody's ever said. One of the best single lines. You're, you're bleeding. That's it. And in that moment, in that one segment, the whole world is talking because the unthinkable has happened. Andre has turned heel. Andre has decided that just being the man isn't enough. He's now got to take the WWE title as well. We are now going to settle whether Andre, 
the locker room leader, or Hogan, the champion, are actually the man in charge. And we've put together a story that has been told over the last three years. And Hogan, he's not training, saying prayers, eating vitamins. He's lost. I, I I can't believe it. I can't. What's going on? It's unbelievable. Go on YouTube. Go on Peacock wherever you got to go and find this thing because it is exactly, I mean, in, in one segment, the whole world goes, I never knew this was the match I needed so badly. In one segment, 90,000 Pontiac Silverdome seats are sold. That's all you needed. Beautiful. Perfection. Let's go to uh, 1996. Actually, that's a little more controversial. Let's go to 1997. We'll go back to 1996. Let's go back to, let's go to 1997. September 22nd, to be exact. See, Stone Cold Steve Austin, a month or so before this, got dropped on his head via a pile driver in a match with Owen Hart for the Intercontinental Championship at SummerSlam. Stinger takes him out of action. Horrible neck injury. This is when Austin is just approaching the white hotness of Stone Cold. So what are we going to do? Is he going to take the time off and just come back better than ever? No, he's not. He can't wrestle, but he's still going to be on TV. So the the pay-per-view after SummerSlam, Stone Cold is back. And now he's putting those middle fingers in the face of authority. He's dropping... Jim Ross with a stunner. What? Good old JR, the commentator, Jim Ross. Yup, stunner. Next, Sergeant Slaughter, the commissioner, Sergeant Slaughter. Doesn't wrestle anymore. Comes out. Boom. Drops Slaughter with a stunner. He's dropping officials, non-wrestling people, important figures who we know behind the scenes are running things with stunners. People in 1997 were not doing their finishers to officials. Ever, ever. It wasn't a thing that was happening. We weren't in that era. So this was having the impact of the century. And it left people going, oh my God, if he stuns Vince, he starts going down this line. He's stunning everybody. If he stuns Vince, oh my God. And everybody can feel it. Everybody's waiting for it. But they go, no way, because Vince McMahon had not taken a bump. We never, we knew he was the owner by this point. He wasn't on camera as the owner, but we knew he was the owner. He had never taken a bump. I mean, Bret Hart had 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 alluded to the fact that he was an owner. You know, we had skirted here, but we weren't fully attitude era yet. We were getting there. We were getting there. We're pretty much there. But we, but it was driving in. You see what I'm saying? So Austin ends up in the ring with police officers that want to cart him away. September 22nd, Madison Square Garden. Vince McMahon gets in the ring. And this isn't the Mr. McMahon character. This isn't the billionaire boss. This is Vince McMahon. This is Roy's war commentator, Vince McMahon. This is a guy in a black denim jacket wearing some black cargo pants. This is that Vince McMahon. And he's telling the cops, hey, back away, back away. And he's telling Austin, he's not... It's the rivalry hasn't begun yet. We're not in the McMahon versus Austin era yet, or at least McMahon's not. I think Austin's already there because Austin's got his fingers in the face of authority and McMahon is authority. 
But McMahon's in there and he's going, Austin, relax, relax. What are you, nuts? Don't You can't put your hands on these police officers. And he sympathizes with him. He goes, don't you know, I understand how frustrated you are. Can't you understand that I am fully sympathetic to you? I know what you're going through. I know how mad you are. I know how badly you want to be back in this ring, but you can't be back in this ring, Austin. The doctors won't allow it. They've told you. He said, so what do you want to do here? And he says this, Austin, all you got to do is play by the rules. All you got to do is work within the system. And Austin goes, work within the system, huh? And he starts talking. and He's like, yeah, I'll do this. I'll do that. And he goes, oh, but I'll tell you what. One thing I got to say is you, well, you can kiss my ass. McMahon goes, what? And before he knows what hit him, boom, boot to the midsection. McMahon gets stunned. He's going into convulsions on the mat. The cops arrest him. The fans are going nuts. Madison Square Garden is unglued. We just saw Vince McMahon catch a stunner. And while we didn't necessarily know it at the time, we saw the beginning of what would be the greatest rivalry of the era and in an argument for the greatest wrestling rivalry of all time, the beginning of Austin versus McMahon, and it really happened right there. This was the sort of cat's out of the bag, Vince is in charge. This is before. This is two months before Survivor Series 97. This is two months before the Montreal Screwjob, okay? And Austin stuns McMahon, and we know it's because he's the owner, and we know that's why he's talking to Austin. And we've never seen McMahon take a bump before. And it changed everything. And you went to school the next day, or you went to work the next day, and it's all anyone was talking about. In that moment, there was no denying Stone Cold Steve Austin was the greatest. Stone Cold Steve Austin was everybody's favorite. If he wasn't already your favorite, he was then. And the machine was behind that man, and he couldn't step in the ring. He couldn't wrestle. And still, they were like, he's the hottest guy we have right now. And they went for it, and they struck gold. But that was the moment where it was like, he's not just putting his hands on officials. He's not dropping a stunner on Rene Goulet. Jack Lanza. He's dropping stunners on Vince McMahon. Nobody's done that. Nobody has done that before. How many things in wrestling, even in 1997, how many things were left that nobody had done before? The NWO was was hot. The NWO was there. What are we going to do to compete? Oh, I don't know. Maybe drop the boss right on his ass. And that's what Stone Cold Steve Austin did. Now let's go back to 1996 because I got two Stone Cold Steve Austin moments on this list. This one is a little bit more controversial, but to me, it's a moment that nobody who watched it will ever forget. It's a moment that you talk about going forward. It's a moment that didn't actually lead to a match. This never fully paid off, but by God, did you want it to? And that's why, to me, it fits the criteria. See, it had been established that Brian Pillman and Stone Cold Steve Austin were friends. Brian Pillman had been signed to the WWE, but due to injury was not able to step into the ring when he started. So he's a broadcaster. He's commentating. He was interviewing people. He's giving his opinion on stuff. He's being a loose cannon. He's being wild. So he gets Stone Cold Steve Austin in the ring. He interviews him. 
And just as Brian Pillman is getting ready to return to the ring, that dastardly Stone Cold Steve Austin knocks him down, wraps a chair around his ankle, and shatters the damn thing. Between the back of the seat, between the the back of the chair and the seat, shatters Pillman's ankle. Kayfabe, brother. And ruins all the progress that Brian Pillman had made. That's not the segment I'm talking about. I remember that segment, but that's not the segment I'm talking about. The segment that I'm talking about happened about a week later when Brian Pillman is in his house. His wife, Melanie, is by his side. He's sitting on a couch, giving an update on everything that's happened. Stone Cold Steve Austin has said, I'm coming to Brian Pillman's house because I ain't through with you, Brian. I ain't through with you, not yet by a long shot. And Vince McMahon asks Brian Pillman, are you worried? Are you concerned? Bravado aside, are you concerned? And Brian Pillman makes it clear that he is not concerned because he's looking forward to Austin 316 meeting Pillman 9mm. And the man pulls out a gun on television. This is what wrestling was in 96. November of 96. He pulls out a gun on TV. He goes, this is what's waiting for him. I don't even know how you did home invasion segments after this one. And there have been good home invasion segments on WWE after this Pillman's Got a Gun segment. But that's a tough act to follow, my friend. So he pulls out the gun and now he's waiting for Stone Cold. Stone Cold is coming. He beats up Brian Pillman's friends outside Brian Pillman's house. He throws one of them into a kiddie pool. He ends up breaking the glass window. We're listening to him break the glass on the door. The camera goes back to him. Pillman is now standing, broken ankle and all, pointing the gun towards where Austin is breaking the window. This is movie stuff. You know what we do, pal? We make movies. Austin breaks through the door so he can get his hand through the window and open the handle, you know, the knob from the inside. He walks in. The, his wife's screaming. JR don't know what to do or Kevin Kelly or whoever was there. Vince McMahon is like, oh my God, Austin is saying whatever he's saying. Pillman is saying whatever he's saying. He's pointing the gun towards Austin and boom, the feed goes out. And it was amazing television. Controversial, yes. Was it some against, was it in bad taste? Arguably. Did some people really dislike it? Yep. But at the end of the day, did it make you want to see Brian Pillman and Steve Austin continue to battle? It did for me. They never did because Brian Pillman's injury was legit. It wasn't the one given to him by Steve. He wasn't, but he wasn't able to compete. I don't know where they thought that was going to go. But I'll tell you what, it made me know two things. Number one, Brian Pillman is crazy. He don't call 911. And number two, Stone Cold Steve Austin is a badass, tough SOB. And by that measure, I can't see based on the criteria that I've laid out, how that wasn't incredibly successful. Let's move out of the WWE for a second. Let's go to Impact Wrestling. Bet you didn't see, think that you'd see Impact Wrestling show up on this list, but for me, Impact Wrestling did. You know, I was racking my brain, and if you've got any that I missed, notsamwrestling at gmail.com is my email address, but nothing struck me from WCW or ECW specifically. There's some moments in ECW, the lights going out, Taz and Sabu, finally staring at each other in the ring. I would give that a, a, a moment, you know, um, maybe uh, 
Beulah telling Raven that her kid is Tommy's, maybe maybe Sandman's kid uh, betraying him for Raven. Like, there are a couple of moments here and there. But, like, I don't know. And in WCW, I feel like they didn't have that many great... They had good promos and they had good moments and they made the best promo list. ECW and WCW were both on that best promo list. But in terms of confrontation, argue me on this one. I put impact on there and it's for one. It's for there's an impact segment that fits my confrontation criteria. That whether you watch impact or not, all you have to do is see it and go, this is awesome. And of course I'm talking about woo, 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 woo. Jay Lethal coming out and confronting Ric Flair. Ric Flair debuts his new faction. And this is, I mean, I have no recollection of this faction even existing. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I'm not an impact wrestling historian. That's that. I'll take the L on that. But I don't, I didn't even, if you told me Ric Flair had a, had a faction in impact wrestling called fortune who was in it, I'd go, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't guess AJ Styles or Nigel McGuinness, beer money, AJ, Nigel, so whatever. Ric Flair is introducing fortune to the world. But the reason that this is so great is because Jay Lethal came out. Black Machismo, Jay Lethal, comes out and he's wearing a suit. And the entire time, for no declared reason, at least on this night, he's doing Ric Flair the whole time. He's got Ric Flair and his cronies all in the ring. Jay Lethal is on the stage and they are just going back and forth with Ric Flair arguing with Jay Lethal as Ric Flair. And Ric Flair takes off his jacket and Jay Lethal takes off his jacket and drops an elbow on the jacket. And Ric Flair throws his shoe and Jay Lethal throws his shoe. And Ric Flair's talking about Space Mountain and Jay Lethal's talking about Space Mountain. And they start going, woo, 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 woo. You can't watch this segment and not be entertained. You can't watch this segment and not wonder where is this going. Okay, regardless of whether there's any kind of bias because of what promotion is for or whatever. I don't care. I don't care if you remember the match itself or not. Doesn't matter for this conversation. What matters is the segment. And I guarantee any of you that have seen this segment, remember the segment. I guarantee this is the exact type of segment that you'd go to work the next day and you'd tell your buddy, look how insane this is. This is so funny. And your buddy, you know what he'd say? All right. Yeah, that's funny. It's entertaining. It worked. I thought it was great. Let's go to 2012, okay? My man John Cena is on this list a couple of times. What To me, just because this got so real, this is almost the basis of comparison for so much. This is what a super fight, first of all, the phrase big fight feel should never be used again in wrestling. I'm so over it. But this is what a super fight should feel like when it's being built up, if it's for real. February 27th, 2012, Monday Night Raw, building up to WrestleMania 28. Once in a lifetime, it was before the twice in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime, John Cena versus The Rock. The Rock has just been taking nonstop personal shots at John Cena. The Rock has been making this a war. The Rock has not been doing wrestling stuff. 
The Rock has not been sitting there going like, well, the, the idea is that I'll build you up, but build myself up more. I'm going to make you look great, but make me look greater. So it seems like when I beat you, I've beaten somebody really important. That's not what The Rock was doing. The Rock was humiliating John Cena or doing his damnedest to do so on his way to WrestleMania 28. And The Rock came out and he cut a promo for 15 minutes. 15 minutes uninterrupted in that ring. He's talking about fruity pebbles. He's talking about lady parts. He's getting the fans to chant lady parts. That's what he's saying John Cena has, lady parts. He's saying John Cena hasn't done anything innovative. He said John, the only innovative thing John Cena has done was change his jeans shorts to camo shorts. And you know what The Rock said? The Rock said that the camo shorts work because can't nobody find your balls. And you're like, oh my God, this guy has lady parts and no balls. This is terrible. This is terrible. What is John Cena going to do? So midway through, or I don't know, 15 minutes in, John Cena's music starts playing. John Cena's like, he's talking this, he's talking that. He's like, yep, I'm the guy who talks when you're not around, but I'm the guy who cuts you down when you are around. And whatever, he's doing fine. He's not killing the rock, but he's doing fine. But here's the problem. Something that not a lot of, I don't know how many people noticed it at first. I don't even remember if I noticed it before it was pointed out to me, but I'll tell you what, I rewound it and I noticed it as soon as it was pointed out to me. That John Cena says, I don't need this, I don't need that. And he pulls off his wristband and he goes, and I don't need my promo notes written on my wrist. And The Rock has this moment where he steps out. What, what, even though The Rock was being more personal than he should have been, he was still being wrestling. And now there was no more wrestling. There was no more performance anymore. Because The Rock had a forearm that was full of notes. The Rock is a busy guy. The Rock has a movie schedule. The Rock is doing all kinds of stuff. He was flying in day of just so he could get on Raw and do his promo. And hell, if he's going to be in that ring for 20 minutes, he better have a reminder ski on that forearm. And so he wrote it down in pen on his forearm so he could read it as he was going. The Rock's got some big-ass forearms, too. It wasn't on his palm. It was on his arm. And when John Cena said that, The Rock changed. The Rock fell off. It's historic. To this day, people refer to it as the one time that The Rock was thrown off his game because he was. The Rock started stumbling and stammering. The Rock got through his promo. But look, the the level that The Rock is on, the standard that The Rock has set for himself, it's high. And when somebody points out that you wrote your notes to your promo on your arm, that's not a standard you're able to meet anymore, Chief. And he couldn't. He couldn't. He was stammering through the WrestleMania plug. It was bad. It was bad for The Rock. It was real good for John Cena. And let me tell you something. It made you go, I got to buy this pay-per-view because Rock's going to beat the shit out of him for real because that wasn't planned. And I don't know. I don't know if they were watching backstage on a monitor and John Cena was like, hey, Vince, I'm going to point this out. Or if John Cena just decided, I really wouldn't put it past John Cena. If I had to guess, I would say John Cena probably just decided, hey, I'm going to go do this. He's been taking tons of shots at me. He's been taking shots at my sponsorships. Like, he's screwing with me. I'm going to screw with him back. I think that's probably how it happened. And it worked, man. 
It worked. The other John Cena moment on this list is from uh, a year and a half later. June 17th, 2013. The great Mark Henry comes out wearing a salmon jacket. Crocodile tears in that man's eyes announcing to the world that he is retiring from the sport of professional wrestling. Mark Henry talks about his family. He talks about everything he's accomplished. There's this little moment where he goes, I mean, I haven't accomplished as much as you, John, but I think I've done all right for myself. And he's going over all his accolades, talking about being the world's strongest man. He's talking about everything. John Cena, he asked John Cena to stay. He put his boots down in the rampway before he got in the ring. He starts talking about his kids. Starts talking about Jacob. Starts talking about his daughter who cries every time he leaves the house. He says, Daddy's coming home. He's crying. He's wearing a salmon jacket for God's sake. I mean, the Hall of Pain feels welcoming. The Hall of Fame, the Hall of Pain feels like home. And as he finishes his promo, and John Cena raises Mark Henry's hand in the air to say, let us honor this man. Let us honor this legend, this man who could have represented the United States in the Olympics for powerlifting, who came here instead, who worked his ass off to become the legend that he became, who's been here at this point, what, it's 2013, 96, 2006, 15 years let us respect this. And just as he's saying that, world's strongest slam knocks John Cena on his ass. And what does Mark Henry say? First thing, Mark Henry's a genius. He rips off his salmon jacket, takes off the tie, and then literally tears his dress shirt. So there's only so it's not buttoned all the way to the top. All of a sudden, Mark Henry looks like a badass in that ring. And he makes sure that John Cena realizes, oh, he's still got a lot left in the tank. It's not going to be that easy. It is, I mean, the segment's better than the match itself, and the match itself is not bad. It makes me wish that Mark Henry had gotten a run. It makes me wish that Mark Henry had beaten John Cena. Even if John Cena beat Mark Henry right back for it, it's such a strong segment. I remember showing it to my wife the next day. She did not watch it. Showing it to my wife the next day, and my wife was mad at Mark Henry. Mad at him. You know why? He lied to her. She didn't feel like it was a performance. She didn't feel like she was witnessing a character. She felt lied to by a man named Mark Henry. It was great. It was so great. I got one more. I got one more on my list. Uh, Of course, when we talk about confrontations, let's give some honorable mentions. Piper and Snuka with the coconut on Piper's pit. 100% gets honorable mention. Um, Marsh, one of our... uh, uh, Top level, not Sam Shills at patreon.com slash not Sam wrestling. He said his favorite is Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler on David Letterman. He just found out today that David Letterman show is not a wrestling show. So that's unfortunate for Marsh. But this I debated with myself on, but I feel like it fits the criteria. This is not exactly two people with microphones. However, I looked at, I said Austin Stunning McMahon absolutely belongs in this conversation. But what makes Austin versus McMahon so great is not the mic work. The mic work's good, but it's not Hall of Fame. Like, if there was no stunner, it would have just been another good Austin promo segment. 
It's the stunner itself that makes it noteworthy. So I said, I've got a confrontation in mind and there were no microphones used, but it certainly made me feel a certain type of way. And I said, if the stunner works, then this works because I I remember specifically, I don't remember a lot of these podcasts. We've done 371 standard ones, plus all the secondary podcasts that we've done. I mean, easily well over 500 wrestling podcasts. So I don't remember most of them, but I do remember specifically, I don't even, I was probably in Los Angeles. I think I was in Los Angeles. I was sitting in a hotel room and I was recording a podcast immediately after seeing Becky Lynch lead Team SmackDown into Raw on November 12th, 2018. And I know what you're saying. Brand Warfare really made this list, Sam? You gotta be effing kidding me. I'll tell you why. It wasn't about Brand Warfare. It was about Becky Lynch taking her spot as the top star in wrestling. This was the night that we were building towards. This is why it was the Survivor Series 2018, it was such a tragedy that Becky Lynch never got the match with, with Ronda Rousey because Becky Lynch ended up getting concussed on this Raw and the concussion wasn't clear by the time we got to Survivor Series that Sunday. But while, yes, it was cool seeing all the SmackDown women come in and beat up all the Raw women, we ended Monday Night Raw with a female segment, not because it was history, but because it was the hottest thing on the show. And the hottest thing on the show was Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch. And Becky Lynch went in there and she caught Ronda in the disarm her in the locker room. She went into the ring. She caught Ronda with a chair in the ring. The the, the show, clo- and, and Becky is talking. Becky is talking trash the entire time. Look it up. November 12, 2018. Monday Night Raw, Build a Survivor Series 2018. Becky Lynch escapes into the crowd, goes up top, Raises her arm in the, raises her two arms as if to say, "Come on, what else do you got?" It was as Stone Cold Steve Austin a moment as you're ever gonna get from anyone who's not the Texas Rattlesnake, and I don't even want to compare it to that because it was so good on its own. This is even before she was the man. This is when she was the last kicker. This is a couple of months removed from this character being built at SummerSlam of that year. And she had blood smeared all over her face. As if to say, don't you know I'm loco? I'm crazy. And I will tear your ass up at Survivor Series. Ronda Rousey was Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey's whole thing was, nobody should ever want to fight me because I'm just going to dominate everybody because I'm the most violent woman in the history of WWE. I fight women in cages. I will destroy the entire roster. And Becky Lynch showed up unafraid, unapologetic, and as cool as a superstar, as a character, as anyone can possibly be. And I could show that clip to anyone and they'd go, oh my God, I get why you love wrestling so much. If you could do that every week, if you if that's what you did every week, wrestling would be the hottest television show in the world. If you had segments like that every single week with superstars like that, Tough order, though, because I made a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven segments dating back to 1987, okay? Easy for me to say, 
If you just did that every week, you could be the hottest show on television. Yeah, you're right. Why not just be the best ever? I didn't even think of that. But regardless, the fact that that exists, oh, oh, just chef's kisses all over the place. One of the best things ever. Let me know if I missed any. Not samwrestling at gmail.com. I appreciate all you guys. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. And if you haven't already, if you want more Not Sam Wrestling content every single week, head over to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Become a Not Sam Shill today. Join us in the Discord room. We'll see you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.